Can I change my mind? Yeah, bring it around. All right. We are going to be in the book of Genesis. Book of Genesis chapter 3. And some interesting passages, you know, as I get into Genesis, creation and the fall are very, very common. As you get a little deeper into Genesis, you start getting to areas that maybe are preached on less and taught on less and a little less familiar. But uh, the basic story is pretty well known. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 4. Did I say 3? Genesis 4. And um, Genesis 4 has um, some history, has some first-time events that are a little painful, but uh, real nonetheless. Genesis 4, we'll begin reading in verse 8. We're going to read down to verse 26. Again, I don't know if we'll cover all that, but if we had a couple folks able to read, that would be a blessing. Any readers here today? Deborah, Esther, and let's see. I will... I can read the uh, final section. So let's have Deborah read from verse 8 to verse um, 15. And then Esther, you can read 16 through 20. And I will read 21 through 26. All right, Genesis 4. Deborah starting out with the paragraph under the first murder. And now you are cursed from the earth, which has opened her mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, from now on it shall not yield you her strength. A fugitive and a vagabond you shall be in the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me out this day from the face of the earth, and from your face I shall be hid. And I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond in the earth. And it shall come to pass that everyone who finds me shall slay me. And the Lord said to him, Therefore, whoever slays Cain, vengeance, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark on Cain, lest anyone finding him should kill him. And Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelled in the land of Nod, on the east of Aden. And Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bare Enoch. And he built a city and called the name of the city after the name of his son Enoch. And to Enoch was born Irad, and Irad begat Mahujila, and Mahujael begat Methuselah, and Methuselah begat Lamech. And Lamech took to him two wives. The name of the one was Ada, and the name of the other Zillah. And Ada bore Jabel. And he was the father of those who dwell in tents, and of those who have cattle. And his brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all who handled the harp and organ. And Zillah also bore Tubalcane, an instructor of every artificer in bronze and iron. And the sister of Tubalcane was Naamah. 
And Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, Hear my voice, you wives of Lamech. Listen to my speech, for I have slain a man for my wounding and a young man for my harm. If Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, truly Lamech seventy and sevenfold. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For God, she said, has appointed me another child instead of Abel, whom Cain slew. And to Seth, to him also there was born a son, and he called his name Enosh. Then men began to call on the name of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word, and as this passage of your word is taught and explained, and as questions are, are received, we ask your Holy Spirit to lead us. Um, may we gain benefit. Um, may we see a, a better picture of who you are and of our simple world, and then also how we ought to walk in it. Um, may you be glorified here, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, this is an important uh, point as we get started. Just because something is included in the Bible does not mean you should imitate it. Okay? And this next passage is included in the Bible, but we should not imitate the actions taken in it. Thank you so much, sir. All right. One of these times we are going to purchase a second whiteboard such that we don't need to exchange it back and forth. I'm going to use this a little bit later. I may use it in the middle a little bit too. But um, there's a, a recorded story of a murder, the first murder that ever took place. And so I emphasize, just because a story is recorded in the Bible doesn't mean it's being commended to us. Some of the stories in the Bible are given as an example of what not to do. And occasionally you will hear people appeal to someone in the Bible who did something. And they'll say, oh yeah, well, so-and-so did this as though it's okay for them to do that thing. Well, you got to make sure that the story in the Bible is there as a warning or as an example of what to do and not what to not do. So uh, clearly murdering is not a good thing. And this example is laid out for us in verse 8. Uh, it says, Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass while they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and slew him. Okay, if we look at this, it says uh, that he talked with him, they were in the field, Cain rose up and killed his brother. It appears to be a premeditated thing that Cain killed his brother. Do you remember the warning that God had given about sin lying at the door? Do you remember that warning? Sin lies at the door. Well, when you let sin in your heart and you don't take care of it, it grows. It starts to expand. It starts to broaden its control and its influence. And so at first, um, the Lord, you know, no, Cain, excuse me, Cain was upset with the Lord. He was mad at God for not receiving a sacrifice, right? But of course, Cain couldn't murder God, right? So the other person involved in this story is the brother who offered the correct sacrifice. And so he gets mad at his brother because God accepted his sacrifice, but not Cain's. And he takes this anger out, and clearly the anger grew, and it, it, it expanded, and it began to control him. And that's the danger with anger, is that some people will do in anger what they never really laid out to do, right? Anger tends to take over. It tends to call the shots. And probably one of the awfulest expressions of anger is murder. I wonder, since this is the first murder, I wonder 
if that was his intention. Because remember, no one had ever died at this point. And I wonder if he was just mad and he started beating him and he beat him to death, right? I don't know. Certainly, I'm not saying he had good intentions, okay? It's not good intentions. But what I'm saying is no one had ever died before, so maybe he didn't know that's how it worked, right? Maybe he didn't know that if you got hit on the head that hard that you would stop functioning, you know? I don't know. But this anger explodes and he kills his brother and that word slew there means to kill. And the Bible records for us in 1 John 3, a little commentary on this story. It says, not as Cain, notice this next little phrase, who was of that wicked one and slay his brother. And for what reason did he slay him? Because his own works were evil and his brother's righteous. So the motive given is that Cain had evil works, his brother Abel had righteous works, can I point out to you that this is not only the first murder, this is the first religious persecution that ever took place. The reason he killed him is because of the offering. I'll put the word religious up here with it too. Religious persecution. The first murder, and if he is murdered, and if it was religious persecution, then that means that Abel was the first martyr. Abel died for his faith in the Lord. He died because he worshiped God in the way that God had said to be worshiped. His brother didn't like it, and his brother killed him. Did you know, did you know that even today, people are sometimes killed because they worship God the way God says to be worshiped, because they approach him through Jesus Christ? So um, we have the commentary in verse 8, of what actually happened. In verse 9, we have God coming to Cain. Do you see again how the Lord comes to Cain? The Lord doesn't dismiss Cain immediately. The Lord does not um, ignore what Cain did. But the Lord comes to Cain. In verse 9, it says, Where is Abel your brother? Now, I don't know if you remember this from the story of Adam and Eve, but with the story of Adam and Eve in Genesis 3.9, the Lord called to Adam and said, Where are you? Here he says, Where is Abel your brother? Did God know where Abel was? God knew where Abel was. But God wanted to have a conversation with Cain about where Abel was. Where is, where is uh, Abel? I wonder if he buried him. Can't prove it. We don't know, but it's certainly possible that he buried him. Remember, Adam and Eve are still alive. Um, they may have had siblings alive. We know it, certainly uh, before too long there was, there was daughters and so on. And so, um, where is Abel your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? So, if, if we kind of work this through, um, kind of in order, we have Cain, first he's committing murder. And then he's being questioned. So he's murdering, and then he's being questioned. And after the questioning, the first response that he gives is, I don't know. Right? Now, what do we call that? That's a lie. That's a lie because he did know where his brother was. He's right where I left him, or right where I buried him. That's where he's at. And so he lies about it. He says, I don't know. But then notice what he does next. He says, am I my brother's keeper? Now 
He questions God. This is big. He sins. He's being questioned. He lies about it, and then he questions God. He pu- he's pushing back on God. He's saying, well, pff, why are you asking me? You know, like, am I my brother's keeper? And I've always, you know, I don't know how you take that question, am I my brother's keeper? But it's almost as if I'm not supposed to defend my brother. He can take care of himself. But he obviously didn't because he just got killed by Cain. So I'm wondering if it's a little bit of a power talk too, like, well, I'm not protecting my brother, although he is kind of weak and pathetic and just lost that fight, right? Um, You know, just the disdain, the arrogance, am I my brother's keeper? Uh, I'm not responsible for him, you know, it's not none of my business. So there's deflecting, there's arrogance, there's uh, pushback, and we really could say that this is the first lie that's told in the Bible by a human. Now, we know Adam and Eve heard the lie of Satan, but, um, but you can see the arrogance in his response here. Um, is there any question on verse 8 or verse 9? I'm going to need the uh, eraser before too long. Do you know where it's at? Or a paper towel will probably work. Is there a question or comment? All right, Matt can start. Is there a question or comment after Matt? Okay, go ahead, Matt. Killed. He didn't want to be killed by other people. Why would people retaliate? Okay, so you're talking about the mark that goes on Cain? Yeah. Yeah. You, you know, it's, I know you're not there yet, but I guess right. I always bother. Why would they retaliate, it, especially at that time, if they were not familiar with the killing aspect? Yeah, I have a number of notes on that. We'll get we'll get to that when we okay, when we so reach I'll that. Okay. Second uh, question. Yeah, two questions. Um, one of the struggles that I had uh, when I was a child. I had a teacher who taught the same verse. Okay. And, you know, he, I don't know what it was, but he sided with Cain. And he made me side with Cain. I was about nine. He said, well, God favored Abel and didn't favor Cain. And that was God's fault. I really struggled until I was in my 20s to really see it. Oh, my. Yeah. So I just want to say that for me, it was a, a struggle, and reading it just brings me back there. Yeah, apparently um, he didn't read the verse from First John that I read <laughs> that like specifically says his, you know, he was evil and his brother's deeds were good, and yeah. anyway. And this is the first time that I actually, you talking about it, I realized that he was actually angry with God, not his brother. Yes. But so he kind of that's what took it out on his brother. Yeah. Yes. So I just yes. want to put that out Thank there. Thank you. But I did struggle with it. Interesting. Um, and I wonder if other Christians struggle with it. All right. Anyone else ever take the side of Cain? I never... Never heard that one before. All right, any other questions or comments back in the back, Rosario? Anyone after Rosario? Okay. Uh, Deborah will be next. Um, Wow. Uh, Cain killed Abel out of his hatred, um, and it was just his, it was the obvious progression Mm. uh, of hatred. Yeah. Jesus states that. Um, you know, if you, yes, I had to look it up because I wasn't sure. But if I tell, but I say unto you that if you look at someone with, with anger, yeah, um, is that sin murder already in your heart? Yes, murder them in your heart. That's right. That's the phrase. But and in First John, First John, he talks about hating your brother is like a, being the sin of murder. It, mm-hmm. it equates the two. Anyway, yeah, it's just so 
I wonder if because humanity is so low, because death has not happened, that, that it's just that. Yes. What's the, um, the simplicity of it, of just, yes. yeah, I'm going to murder him because that soothes my hatred. Yes. And we have complexed that now because right. of g- laws and government, but right. it's, it shows tr- what hatred leads to. Yes. Murder is the external physical violent act, but the heart of murder is simply the heart of hatred. And, and that's very foundational because sometimes when you witness to people, they'll be like, well, I'm not a murderer or anything, right? And they'll, they'll bring that up like, well, I'm not really that bad of a person because I haven't murdered anyone. It's like, well, okay, but have you ever had the heart of murder? Well, what do you mean by that? Have you ever, hate, have you ever had a heart of hatred towards someone? And then it, it becomes a lot more broad, widespread and a lot more understandable and applicable under that. All right, Deborah is next. I find it interesting in verse 8, and Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field. It looks like he had a previous conversation. He didn't just, like, leave God and then go out and kill his brother, but it looks like he had a conversation and then later he was in the field and he killed him. Yes. That's interesting to think about. Like progression, you mean? Yeah. And time. Like it wasn't just like, okay, well, I'm going to go kill him. Like he had talked to him, and then later he went out and killed him. Yes. So it was not. In, it was not like instantaneous. Like the offering was not received. Oh, I hate you. You know, kill him. But rather, he had a conversation with God about the bad sacrifice, and then he had a conversation with his brother, and then it appears at a later time out in the field he killed him. Um, anger that is undealt with will continue to to go on, and so sometimes you need to obviously you reach out to the Lord to help you with anger. When you struggle with anger, um, you know, pray, seek God, and ask God to, um, you know, to help melt that heart of anger. But also, there's times where you need to reach out to some, like a friend or a pastor or a counselor or whatever, to say, you know, I am struggling with anger and I'm I'm not winning the battle here. I need your help, you know. And you can bring in some other helpers on that. But don't just allow anger to burn your heart because you you can't control where it ends, and that's what's so horrific and awful. Okay, let's look at verse 10. And he said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries to me from the ground. And now, verse 11, you are cursed from the earth, which has opened her mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. Okay, so God asked the same question of Adam and Eve. He said in Genesis 3.13, what is this that you have done? So again, God asked the question to prick the conscience to say, what are you doing? You know, have you ever had the Holy Spirit say, what are you doing right now? Um, I know I have. Uh, like, what are, you, what are you thinking right now? What are you saying? What did you just say, right? And God says that to us at times. What are you doing? But he goes on to say, he says, what, are you, what have you done? Here he says, what have you done? And the idea is clearly that the lie and the deflection didn't work with God. And you can lie and you can deflect with people and sometimes get away with it. But God... He sees right through it, right? The voice of your brother's blood cries to me from the ground. The blood of the dead brother is given a personification here. It's given a voice, and the voice is crying out. And I think that's so interesting because the whole idea of killing someone is to, quote-unquote, get rid of them. But the voice cries out. You know, I don't know if you've ever heard much or watched much about forensics 
but the forensics people will say their body or their fingerprints or their blood or whatever, it left a story or it told a story, right? And in the science world, it's called evidence and you know proof and all these different things. But for God, he sees the reality of things and he is affected by what we do. It's not irrelevant to him. And this, this proves right here that God is not the God who winds up the clock and sets it on the shelf and walks away, right? Have you heard that theology of God? It's the God who created the world and then abandoned it, right? That's not our God. That's not what we find in Scripture. He cares about what we do one with another. So the voice of the blood is crying out to God. And the word blood here is actually in the plural in Hebrew. And that the implication there like English, blood is blood, it's neither singular nor plural, but in Hebrew it's plural, which implies there was a lot of it, okay? Um, And now he says in verse 11, you are cursed from the earth. This is a first. Adam and Eve were not specifically cursed, but Cain was cursed, okay? He himself was cursed, and it was due to his sin here um, in killing his brother. We we see that God takes the sin of murder very seriously. And um, there is forgiveness for murder, absolutely. But we know that with greater sins, there is greater punishment, right? And so, um, you know, God would prescribe a different punishment for a child molester than he would for, you know, stealing a pen from the bank, okay? There are different levels of, of sin. And with murder, he holds it to a different standard than other sins, certain other sins. And, um, and so it, it, that's not to say that all sin is sin, right? All sin is wrong, but there's different levels of punishment for, for greater types of sins. And so, um, so there's a curse that comes on him, and it says it's, you are cursed from the earth, which has opened her mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. This curse is... Uh, it's on him, but it's in relation to the ground. And so, which is kind of funny because Adam, the ground was cursed because of Adam, right? But God never told Adam, you are cursed, right? But it uses the phrase from the ground. And the words for earth and ground, some of them are the same, some of them are a little different. I think the distinction is, we think of one in the term of like soil, the dirt, the soil, and the, the, the other Hebrew term has more of the idea of the world or the globe, okay? So when it says he's cursed from the soil, I believe it's referencing that later he's going to be banished from this area where the good soil was, and he was going to be sent to a place where the soil was not as good, um, which is super ironic as you see the progression because Adam had Eden without a curse. Then he had a place outside of Eden that still had good soil, but now his son... Uh, Cain is being cursed from that, and so he's going to be sent even further apart from Eden, apart from that area, and he now is going to have soil that does not produce for him, because verse 12 says, when you till the ground, from now on it shall not yield to you her strength. A fugitive and a vagabond you shall be in the earth. So looking at these verses, I understand that he's, he does not have good farmland. If he tried to make a farm, it wouldn't produce for him, which I might sometimes say that I have a little bit of the curse of Cain on me because when I try to garden, it just doesn't work. Um, he had the, you know, you know what you call someone who's a gardener? They have a what thumb? 
a green thumb. I have a black thumb, all right? It's the thumb of death, and um, I can't get that stuff to go. Um, Cain had that problem too. So he would be a vagabond and a fugitive. This meaning is that he would not, in, in the most simple of senses, it means he's not going to settle down, right? Like someone said it this way, Lot ceases to be a farmer and he becomes a Bedouin, a tramp, a hobo, a drifter, a transient. But I think we're missing it if it's just saying, this is not just about housing for him. It's not just about like having a place. I think it's about a dissatisfaction in his heart and a lack of peace where he is always guilty and he's always seeking for something to kind of assuage the guilt. Boy, have we not all seen someone and has it not at some point been our own story that we were running from guilt, that we were running from our pains and our problems and we went from this to this to this to this to this. We were bouncing all over seeking for some peace seeking for something to assuage our guilt and to really fulfill us. And the picture here is not as much about you'll no longer be a farmer, but now you're going to be moving from place to place, right? It's not about RV lifestyle or something. It's about, I think, his condition with God. It's about that unsettledness and that lack of peace and that always moving from thing to thing to thing because you can't find anything that truly satisfies you. This is the picture of the person who is apart from the forgiveness of God. But can Adam and Eve, can they settle down? Yes. Can they have a relationship with God? Yes, and they do. And here we have, we have Cain, and we have this drifting, and this purposelessness, and this constant seeking for something else, something new. And this is the fruit of sin. Sin will, will ruin that relationship with God and it will cause you to be unsatisfied in your soul. And um, as I've said, to one degree or another, each of us has tasted of that. And we cannot forget that because when we walk with God and temptation comes along, we need to say, hey, I remember, I remember when I was apart from God, whether it be apart before we were saved or just apart where our relationship was, was uh, harmed with God and um, that sense of, of um, drifting. A fugitive and a vagabond you shall be in the earth. So he's not banished from off the earth, right? He's still living on the earth. That's why I think that distinction between the soil and the earth is, is helpful to understand the curse properly. Um, all right, any question or comment? 10, 11, and 12? We have one with Amanda. Anyone after Amanda? All right, go ahead. Um, kind of like what you were saying with um, Adam and Eve being offered forgiveness and being able to live in that forgiveness. I was just looking at the similarities between when they sinned and God came and he asked them a question. And then, mm -hmm. then when Cain sinned the first time, he asked him a question and yeah. he asked him why he was angry. And then the third time he asked him a question, but all those times, you know, he gave him opportunity to yes. get right. And even when he murdered his brother, as awful as that is, he still gave him an opportunity yes. to get right, and he just would not. And just such a difference from Adam and Eve Yes. and their forgiveness that was offered them. They still had consequences, but they were able to still, you know, continue on in a 
yes. a better life than Cain, obviously. So right. just an interesting comparison, I guess. Yes, very good um, analogies. And it shows the heart of God for the sinner. And it shows the fact that God reaches out to people more than once, right? And he is gracious and patient. Um, thank God for that, because there were days that he reached out to me more than once, and months, right, that he reached out to me uh, again and again. So um, anyone else with a question or comment on these verses? Deborah is next. Anyone after Deborah? Okay. I never really thought about how Cain's profession was taken away. Like, he probably loved his job. Mm -hmm. And that's the specific thing that was cursed. Yes. And that's sad. Yes, that's a really good point. Because when he made his, his altar, he made it of the things that he had done, right? So, and he was good at it, apparently. And um, that's a great, a great point. In hindsight, like, sin really does just, can, has the power to destroy your life. Yes. Like, I'm sure he never thought about how that was going to completely change his life. Yes. He didn't predict those outcomes, did he? Yes. And anger does not have the rational pause to think through the effects of what will come from anger, right? Yeah. And then the other thing was Adam and Eve weren't cursed. But it's interesting, the snake was cursed yes. personally. Yes. I thought that was interesting. Yes. Very good point. All right. Anyone else? Okay. Let's look at verse 13. Verse 13 says, And Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Um, this is the first time that, you know, he, he doesn't talk about his sin, but he does talk about his punishment. And he says it's greater than he can bear. This is, uh, this is an interesting response because it shows where his focus is. He is deeply distressed about the punishment, but he is not so deeply distressed about the sin that brought about the punishment, right? Um, it's kind of like being pulled over for speeding and your greatest interest is the cost of the ticket and not the fact that you're speeding, right? Or when you get fired from your job for stealing the company money, your greatest concern is not that you stole the company money, but that you lost your job there, right? And uh, we are often tempted to give great weight to the effects of our sin more than to sin itself. It's a dangerous thing, but it's a common, it's a very human thing to do. He says that my punishment is greater than I can bear. Um, in the King James translation, they have a marginal note that says it can also be understood as my iniquity is greater than may be forgiven. So the translators recognize this phrase is a little uh, unique in, in how we could in, in one, it's that he's concerned about the, um, the punishment. In the other, it, he's saying that he has sinned too greatly and God will not forgive him. In either fashion, both of them show a distrust or a disconnect with God himself, don't they? If his punishment is greater than he could bear, what does that say about God, right? Adam and Eve didn't say that when they were sent out of the garden, right? And I want to encourage us that if you suffer from some outcome of a sin that you have committed, God can give you grace to bear that. And, you know, sometimes we, we sin big, sometimes we sin small, and sometimes there's effects, right? And we should never, ever, ever, ever say, God is being too hard on me. Like that, that's assaulting God's character, 
and that's false and that's wrong. God's not being too hard on us. What does our sin deserve? Death. Where do the dead go? Hell. Our sin deserves hell. And so when God gives us a lesser punishment than hell, we are looking good. And so, so Cain says, oh, this, is, this punishment is greater than I can bear, and it's, this is too much. And Cain begins to whine. God is painted as overbearing and mean. And, you know, now he is going to have to leave. Proverbs 13, 15 says, Good understanding gives favor, but the way of transgressors is hard. You know, doing right is hard, but sinning and suffering its effects are harder. Right? And so Cain is suffering this punishment, and now he says, this is too much for me to bear. Um, and he's, he's pushing back against the Lord. Verse 14, Behold, you have driven me, notice this, you have driven me out this day, from the face of the earth, and from your face I shall be hid, and I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond in the earth, and it shall come to pass that everyone who finds me shall slay me. Now, I want you to, to just really carefully read through what God said. Read through what God said in the past verses. Verse 10, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries to me from the ground. Now you are cursed from the earth, which has opened her mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, from now on it shall not yield to you her strength. A fugitive and a vagabond, you shall be in the earth. Now, isn't there something that Cain says that God never said? Did anybody catch what it is? I hate to make you read too much, but it's right there. You have driven me this day from the face of the earth, and from your face I shall be hid. That, God didn't say that. God didn't say, I will hide you from my face. Now, the other things God did say about being a fugitive and a vagabond and driving me out this day and so on. But Cain says, I'm going to be hid from your face. Was, was Cain hid from the face of God? Well, God knew where he was, right? God knew where he was. God had come to him with questions even after he had sinned, right? So was he hid from the face of the Lord in that respect? No. But you know what? Cain was expressing how he felt because he felt hid from the face of God and he felt that isolation from God which is that feeling that sin brings because it's real that we get separated from God but God never said I'm going to hide my face from you right that's not what God said God actually reached out to try to reconnect the relationship with Cain but Cain is in a sense blaming God for the isolation when actually God has tried to overcome that already so I think that's an important point um, to, to bring to bear. Now, in verse 14, uh, he does point out at the end, it shall come to pass that everyone who finds me shall slay me. Now, this clearly to me says, I think, that Adam and Eve have been having other kids by this time. Okay? Because he says, everyone who finds me. All right? And... We don't know if Abel had a family or if Abel was single, right? But the, the question comes, where did Cain get his wife? Well, and if Abel had a wife, where did Abel get his wife? And the obvious and only answer that fits the scripture is that they married their sisters. And to us, we go like, right? Like, disgusting, that's awful. Well, you have to remember, there was no one else on the earth, okay? 
there was one man and one woman named Adam and Eve, and they had kids, okay? So the early families of the earth married siblings because when you start out with two adults, that's the only way it can work. And, but, but clearly there's other people being born, and Cain knows, or he thinks at least, that everyone who finds me is going to kill me. Now, I find that interesting. It's as though Cain knew how people would respond. He knew that they wouldn't like that. Interesting. He probably didn't meditate on that ahead of time, but he probably realized it after it was done. It's as though he knew that his death would be the measure that others would want to enact. You know, he doesn't say, when, when they find me, they're going to lock me up in this cage over here for three weeks. Right? He doesn't say, when they find me, they're going to wag their finger and say, bad boy. No, he says, when they find me, they're going to kill me. Well, I wonder where he got that measure from. I wonder where that dawned on his mind from. I wonder if he just realized that that's like eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth sort of thing, right? That would later be written into the Mosaic Code. Um, that a life should be taken for taking a life. And in this instance, God is merciful and does not enact that measure, which I find very interesting. And in verse 15, the Lord said to him, Therefore, whoever slays Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark on Cain, lest anyone finding him should kill him. You want to talk about mercy. This is mercy again. Cain has received so much mercy from God. I mean, if there's one thing I've learned in this Genesis study, it's that God is merciful to sinners. Again and again, Cain is given opportunities. Cain is given a lesser and I have to think that God is letting him live to give him time to repent, right? To give him time to be reconnected in relation to God. Um, and if you're living, you have time to turn to the Lord too. So the question then is why this lighter punishment? Now, I can already see some people as they read this passage, this is what they do. They fold their hands, they kind of curl their nose like this, and they say, look at this isn't fair. This isn't fair that God would, uh, he just killed his brother and he's letting him live. This isn't fair. Now my suggestion to this person is don't say it too loud because do we really want a fair God? We want a fair God when it comes to other people's punishments, but do we want a fair God when it comes to our punishments? Well, we, we would like a God that's gracious and you know, nice to us, but what kind of a God do we want for other people? right? Well, I had a couple thoughts on this. First of all, was it actually a lighter punishment considering the fact that this had never happened? This is the first murder after all, so it's a first-time offense. It's not like he had other bad examples to learn from, right? But secondly, he lived and everyone around him knew what he had done. He had a mark placed on him and he lived in this position of no peace and of wandering and of, of you know, Honestly, great suffering in his soul, in a sense. And he was separated from a relationship with God. And in a way, death might be the easy out for him. Um, whereas living with that was a witness, an example to others to avoid this sin of murder. Um, and so it is interesting that after the flood, God changes his prescription for murderers, does he not? Right Before the flood... 
there was not a capital punishment and murderers were not punished by being put to death. And after the flood, God specifically says, if a man shed man's blood, his blood must be shed. So there is a change in operation. Some people really have a hard time with God. They say, well, how is it that God can change? You know, God thought God doesn't change. Well, God himself does not change, right? His nature doesn't change. But his expectations of humans do change. And as throughout the scripture, you know, there's no, there's no tree somewhere that I can't eat from, okay? But Adam and Eve, that was their rule. Don't eat from the tree. Well, that's not for me. That was for them, right? And as we progress through history, we have to live in relation to what God has laid out for us. Um, all right, that's through verse 15. Uh, is there any questions or comments on these last couple of verses here? From anyone? Yes, Debbie is first. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Right. Think about what he did Yes. Yes. And I want to point out several things with that. Um, if if you get put to death and you go to hell, it's ultimately worse than, than being alive. Um, so, so that's maybe a little um, adjustment to that. But also you have to think of, if you think of death as a warning for other people, that sends a message to others, right? But it is true, and there are some people who are on death row, and they say things like this, please just kill me now, I don't want to, like I don't want to appeal, I don't want to appeal anymore, I just want you to put me to death. Because they, they themselves sense that um, the guilt is so strong, and they don't like living as a murderer, and so they prefer themselves to be put to death, right? So I guess what I'm saying is there's a sense in which death is an example to other people to, hey, don't do this. But someone who lives afterwards and expresses that guilt and that awful, I'm, I feel horrible every day of my life, that also is a, a witness to the awfulness of death. So, um, you know, uh, there's a lot of discussion about capital punishment and so on and so forth. And I do believe God prescribes capital punishment, but, you know, I know that there's different gradations our court system uses, like first degree and third degree and, you know, manslaughter and these different things. So, uh, I mean, I would be of the opinion, biblically, that there is a place for, you know, a lesser form of death where the punishment is the ongoing guilt and the more serious, obvious, first degree sort of things would have the execution. But, um... I don't know. I mean, God's going to set it up his way in his own kingdom. And uh, we live in a, a, a broad society that has a lot of voices on that whole topic. So anyway, uh, verse 15, any other question or comment? Pastor Jeremiah. I guess the, the placing of the mark on him and the whole, you know, protecting him by saying whoever does kill him will be punished. Yes. More harshly. Yes. But <coughs> he's kind of protecting him. Yes. From being killed. Yes. Uh, and like you said, giving him time to repent, mm-hmm. essentially. But it does make me think about those, like you mentioned, death row, and people who are sitting there in prisons across America waiting for judgment and waiting to be executed, some of them. And, you know, during that time that God has allowed for them to have, to live. 
yet to live until you know their execution may right. come. Right. That is time for them to repent. Yes. And it's really no different than Cain's time. Yes. Except that man has set up. Yes. You know the punishment and how long this individual will wait versus right. God setting it up. But yeah. It's the same in the sense that God has given them time to repent, mm-hmm. and yeah. there needs to be people that go to those folks. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's why I, any prison ministry I've ever come across, I've always <laughs> appreciated the fact that there are people that are going out of their way and basically being missionaries yes. to prisoners. Yes. Yes. Amen. And and a lot of them don't. They're like Cain. Uh, if you take the one interpretation that his sin is too great for it to be forgiven, you mm-hmm. know, uh, from what I understand, a lot of them are like, my sin is, yes. is too big. God yes. can't forgive this. But yes. it, that doesn't mean that they shouldn't be told the truth and that someone shouldn't be trying to reach them. Yeah, and, because and that's a lie, right? do get saved. That is a lie yeah. that this is too great of a mm-hmm. sin to be forgiven. Right. Yes, right. Um, a couple quick stories. Maybe we'll end with this. Is there anyone else with a question or comment? Okay, when I did my internship in Philadelphia in 2006, the interns were taken to Bucks County Correctional Facility in Pennsylvania, and we got, I, we got to go in and, and preach the gospel, and there was a men's prison and a women's prison, and I was selected to preach in the women's prison. And I remember them coming in, you know, the orange suits and the whole bit, laying, you know, right there, and I preached on the woman who had the issue of blood, and how she reached out to Christ for her, her resolution, and how each of us has a, an issue that we try to hide from others, but is, you know, our sin and so on. And when we left, the women who worked as a part of the, the prison ministry thing, she said, yeah, there's a number of women that came tonight for salvation, and she said, there was one that I know from past conversations was a murderer, and, um, you know, she said she received Christ tonight. And I'm thankful we serve a God who can save anyone, anywhere like the blood of christ cleanses us from all sin the bible says and this gives hope for every sinner Um, it truly does the other story i was going to share is that when the nazis were overtaken the the allies put together what's called the nuremberg trials and they tried a lot of the top guys in the nazi system i think there was 12 or 18 in the final um thing quick side note my grandpa took a trip to Nuremberg, and he saw them at the thing, and he said he got to see Hermann Goring, the big, fat Air Force guy, and he saw those Nazi criminals. So that's my little connection to that whole thing. But the story I'm telling you is that they were assigned several um, chaplains, and there was a Catholic chaplain, and then there was a Protestant chaplain, and the Protestant chaplain assigned to these Nazi murderers was a Lutheran. He was a Lutheran, Missouri Synod, I believe, Lutheran, who believed in salvation by grace through faith alone. And he, in his account, tells these stories of sitting down to talk with these criminals. And he was there the night they were executed as well. And he says that there was three Nazis where they give them a chance to give their final words. He said there was three of them that before the noose, you know, was, was tied around their neck and they were set to swing, that they said... I commit my soul to the Lord Jesus Christ. He has forgiven me of my sins. And, you know, there was others who said, hell Hitler, right? And there was others who said, I have just served Germany. And there was others who said this and that for their last words. But he said there was three of them where their last words is that they commit their soul to the Lord Jesus and he had forgiven them of their sins. 
And so that gave him great joy that he could minister the gospel to them. So, you know, the, I'm thankful that all people can be saved. And heaven will be populated with all types of people, all sorts, all backgrounds, and all degrees of awfulness. But there's one Savior. And we'll all worship the one Lord Jesus, right? Because he is the one that forgives us. So for when, we, when we meet these Cains who are lost in sin and think that they cannot be forgiven, let us tell them, no, it is false. You can be forgiven. Our God will forgive you, and he will. All who believe in Christ will be saved. All who admit their sin and trust in Christ alone and receive his work for their sins, they will be cleansed and forgiven. This is a joyous, good word. All right, let's be dismissed in prayer. Brother Zario, would you pray as we head uh, out?